Welcome to the Raindrop Corner podcast, an affirming space for people who seek to enrich the human experience. This is a place where real life superheroes and creatives get to share their magic without censorship. And I'm your host, Kay. And without further ado, here is an ode to our guest. I am Black. Chaotic meets balanced queerdom with a splash of style. A man. No, an entity that transcends the limitation of gender. I am a human vessel scintillating. And I'm also out of time. I am fuming but proactive with my feelings about the state of the world, tired and blooming in silk and comfortable threads. I weave my crowns out of surprise and delight, and I have the power to fucking smite. I am sight meets beautiful gigantic might. I am out of time. Like a siren, I am howling from every orifice, rebuking opposition seeking to topple my position. I am incapable of slack or derision. I am eyes opened, scared, and sometimes inadequately prepared. I am out of time. I am writing love letters to me, beckoning for cradled blood to see, daring to weave words for a world drowning in its own pee. I aim to be out of time. The bountiful bard who pulled a face card, who people scoffed at when I said, man, this is hard. I am royalty. And may the negative noise kiss my ring because I will always loudly sing. Black is king and I am out of time. I am nearly out of patience too, the words and learned wisdom clawing at my breast, my ancestors carefully forming my bulletproof vest, my mind frequently put to the test, and yet life still sought to serve me its best. I am out of time. Yet surrounded by the sublime, embraces full of I've got you and there's nothing that you can't do, all those series of breakthroughs as little me grew, little fractals of smiles and engaging eyes pulling me out of the blue. I am out of time. I am black, chaotic meets balanced queerdom with a splash of style. A man. No, an entity that transcends the limitation of gender. I am a human vessel scintillating. I am out of time. Our guest today is Hari Ziad. Thank you for coming on the show today. I'm going to put you on the spot for a minute. (laughs) Here's the scenario, right? There is a zombie apocalypse. You can only choose three people to be on your team, either fictional or real life people. Who would you choose? Uh, well, my partner would be one of them, <laughs> just because I feel like there would be a lot of communication that we wouldn't necessarily have to, um, we wouldn't have to explain a lot to mm-hmm. each other. Um, I feel like Zora Neale Hurston would have a lot in her arsenal about how to defeat zombies. I love so it. On the team. <laughs> Oh, and let's get somebody that actually has, like, powers or something. Um, I don't know. Give me, like, a storm or something. Yes. 
because she'll she'll be able to take them out in ways that we can't so she's arguably the most powerful x-men so i feel like you're gonna fare really well during the zombie apocalypse (laughs) if it ever it did happen deviating away from that i'll go back to my throwback question so how is life for you what is exciting for you in your world right now and what's intellectually challenging for you uh, what is exciting for me right now? I just finished a season um, as a staff writer on my first show, which was really, really great, a great learning experience. But it was nine months and nine months of really intense work. And mm-hmm. so I'm really looking forward to just resting for a couple of weeks. Um, I'm back in New York now. I live in L.A. And mm-hmm. uh, glad to be here, see friends I haven't seen in a long time. My partner's here. Um, what's intellectually stimulating for me I mean that's part of the what I'm excited for too like I hadn't been able to read books in such a long time um, I would finish work get high and watch TV if I even had time to do that <laughs> um, so I'm really excited to get back into reading and um, being stimulated in that way I'm working on my own show that we're getting ready to pitch and so that's probably been the most creatively stimulating thing um, so far so yeah that's pretty much life as of march nice that's exciting and congrats on the show that you're getting ready to pitch that's amazing thank you thank you you're welcome so hari i do want to just say you're so multifaceted so you're a writer, you're a storyteller, and the editor-in-chief of Race Bader, a safe space outside of white supremacist and cis-heteropatriarchal gaze. I tried to get that right in one fell swoop, but it's essentially a platform where sincere audiences can learn about anti-blackness, queerness, feminism, and their relationship to those subjects. And you've just done so much out of all of the things that you've done and it's probably a hard question because they've all probably given you something in different ways what would you say out of all of your projects has taught you the most about yourself yeah i feel like all of my projects in a sense are kind of connected Mm -hmm. so that's it's kind of somewhat of a difficult question, but you brought up race bader, and that would definitely be one of the first things that come to mind, mm-hmm. mostly because um, this was the year where we had to end race bader in that particular iteration of like being a platform for people to write and publish their works, which we done we had done for about five years, and so just seeing everything that had come from that and it was really through race bader that i even got my book deal and it was really through that that i even got back into tv so race bader is kind of connected to everything i do um in its own unique way um Mm -hmm. and i definitely learned so much about so many things not just about like the subjects we talked about on the, the website um, but also about even the process of editing, about writing. Um, I'm definitely a much better screenwriter, a much better author because of the work that we did on Race Bader. Um, I'm always thinking of back to like, uh, in particular, like editing other people's. I get to work with so many brilliant people and the process of getting someone who's already brilliant to like bring out the uh, best version of their work is such a fulfilling process. Um, and it really helps me now to like do that with my own work as I'm creating in different 
uh, mediums. Um, so yeah, I definitely think that race builder is a, has played a, a very big role in in my life and, and is one of the things that I would look to or always mention if someone was to ask me a question like that or something similar of like, what have I learned the most from? That was actually the platform that I discovered you on and it just... The content just blew me away. I would say back then, especially when it was newer, um, there really weren't spaces like that. And it was cool to have that and to be able to connect with other people. And you mentioned your book deal and your book, your memoir, specifically Black Boy Out of Time. I did want to talk a little bit about that because so when I when I went into reading the memoir, I did what I normally do. I went in blind. I didn't want to know anything about it. I just wanted to experience it. So I read the title and it made me feel a sense of alarm, but not necessarily in an alarming way, but I grew up in an environment where I had to learn very quickly things that most kids shouldn't be exposed to. And then I started thinking about all of the black boys that I've known growing up and how some of them had this, I call it an illusion of bliss, where there is this idea that the world is more welcoming than it actually is, though it can be. And that maybe there's a point where they run out of time, so to speak, where they kind of learn what the world is like and now they're having to navigate that and they lose something And once that happens. And it's not to say they can't get it back, but there's a transformation that happens. And it made me think before I even opened the book, why did you choose this particular name? What relationship do you have with the title Black Boy Out of Time? Um, that's a great question. I mean, it always comes up. Um, I, the title was meant a couple of different things for me. I was thinking about um, exactly what you were talking about, like this, this like very limited time that we have to experience um, childhood and like whatever that means. Um, for me, it's like associated with the closest feelings that I have to like being free um and then you like you said like that's something that we quickly run out of time to to be able to experience our childhoods it's not just black boys um all black children and I get more into that in the the book um but I also wanted to write something that like challenged the idea of linear time um altogether so the idea that that time where we felt freedom or something close to freedom is out, something out of our grasp is something that especially as I've gotten deeper into hoodoo and ancestor work mm-hmm. um, something I want to reject like there is a possibility to reclaim parts of us that the world would convince us that is lost um, and so I think that we can exist sort somewhat out of linear time um, and we kind of have to work towards at least imagining our lives outside of this linear time line um, in order to get to where we need to be, um, which is a world where we're freer and where Black children are able to uh, exist as Black children without this time constraint around them. That's pretty much where the title came from for me. So yeah, even before you jumped in, you kind of already had a sense of the themes of it, um, which is great. That's what a title should do. 
it was very refreshing just reading it in general because I feel like growing up and even as teenagers and then even into our adulthood, there is a fixation on time, not just coming from us, but coming from everyone around us, our parents, um, even our friends, um, our, our bosses at work and just school and academia and it's really nice the way you break down time and I just love how in the book you write letters to your younger self that's just such a beautiful thing now in relation to that because it's such a cool way to reflect and affirm yourself in real time too even though you're talking to your younger self at points in the book what letter would you write to yourself right now based off of your experiences? Um, usually when people ask me that question, I would say like, oh, I wish there was one of the, one of those chapters was a prayer for rest, which is goes back to what we started off. Like I don't usually give myself a lot of time to rest, uh, which is great. Uh, I mean, and, and there's some things in the book that we touch upon, but it would literally just be like rest. You don't have to always be doing shit and capitalism is going to tell you something completely different and literally just like a line. Um, and then that would have been great because I would have been able to rest while writing that chapter because it would have been very short. <laughs> <laughs> but now I'm thinking about um, this week, a close friend of mine, one of my best friends from... Um, my childhood passed away. You have my condolences. Thank you. Um, so, like, that's the first thing that comes to mind would be um, writing to that uh, that part of my life and um, thinking more about the friendships that I had then. Um, and I, in hindsight, in the book, like, there are a couple of friendships that I write about, but I don't really write a lot about friendship in particular like one of the my favorite chapters are um about me and my partner now and i'm writing to my younger self and i'm writing about that relationship and that's really beautiful um but i wish i could write also about the relationships that i've had and, and like the friendships that sustain me and what about those things and like mine more from um from that younger part of myself like some of the beauty in those relationships um but like i said i think that's that's really timely now because of the news i've heard that's something that i would be interested in exploring with my younger self it's interesting with friendship because i believe it's chapter 12 if i'm not mistaken where you're kind of reflecting you're asking your friend to be your maid of honor and you're having a conversation about basically the the role in the the way the relationship will change because you are someone who is gonna get married and it just made me think a little bit deeper about how relationships shift and change so much and how our understanding of them changes i know you said that you would have maybe wanted to explore friendships more how has your relationship with your friendships shifted as you've kind of grown from maybe your earlier youth to now yeah and that's what the the chapter that i would have written would have explored because i do think i like i'm writing about a lot of like adult friendships and then acknowledging how those change and yeah i think that's a really great question that i still have questions about mm -hmm. but i think one of the main things for me 
um, is, and I touch upon this in that chapter, is a lot of those ideas about like the limitations around friendships and like, uh, I'm talking to my friend about her fears around our relationship changing because, um, and this is, some of this is just my conjecture, although we've talked about this, um, because her idea of like what it means to be friends with a married person is like, it's very um it's in a box almost like you this person has to behave in a certain way now that they have a partner mm-hmm. i think when we were younger at least when i was younger i didn't really see friendships in that way like i was friends with people that made me feel good i wanted to be around people that felt good um and it didn't like i didn't see a specific aspect of who they were um, and think that this means that we can't be friends even though we love each other care about each other want to be around each other and so i think um a lot of that uh the boxes that we put around ourselves in relationships to friends um come with age mm-hmm. uh, and i think that's really limited um and so i, I yearn for a lot of my earlier friendships because uh, we were so different in so many ways and we had so many other things going on for us but what really mattered most was that we cared for each other and we wanted to be around each other and so that was like the central element Um, and I would like more of my relationships now so instead of it being you know I have this particular relationship with my partner and this particular relationship to my unmarried friend and this particular relationship with, which all of those things might play a role, but I think if I could focus more on just like what I love about this person, what I want to be surrounded by, um, and what I want to give to that person, um, instead of like all of these identity labels that we use to um, categorize our friendship, um, then maybe my relationships would feel a little freer um, as I did when I was younger. That's something that really resonates with me, especially lately, because I I got married recently and I had a very um had a very similar conversation with my maid of honor, ironically enough. And um I I also agree with that. I feel like we overcomplicate our friendships nowadays when you know there is a big kind of freedom to just enjoying someone's company for the sake of enjoying it and kind of celebrating and championing that in your memoir you express when you talk about the memoir that it's very much about reclaiming childhood that's a phrase that you use a lot so i know that you've said on previous platforms that therapy and doing inner child work with that medium inspired some of what kind of pushed you to create the novel. I know there were other factors as well. What does reclaiming childhood look like to you specifically? Yeah, um, to me, it looked like the what you were just speaking about in relation to the book, the letters to my younger self even just knowing that that's possible like just the idea that i could even talk to the younger version of myself like felt really weird when i first learned about inner child work and um as it didn't seem it was not even in the realm of like possibility and so to open that space back up 
um, to open that portal back up between this aspect of yourself um, as part of that reclamation process. I think also being open to what comes back from that portal. So it's not just like, I think I started writing those letters, like just writing at my younger self and just like, this is what I want to tell you. And this is what I would, I wish you'd had heard when you were younger, which is all great. But I think there's so much to learn from um, just sitting in that mindset of like being open to communicating with this part of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, that looks like listening to what I'm feeling when I'm writing to my younger self or listening to the thoughts that come across my, the images that flash up um, and trying to, to be open to that process teaching me things um and so yeah i think just being open to learning from your past um the whole idea of like sankofa and like how your future is so informed by your past um that to me is a part of reclaiming your childhood um i think a future where we're free is a future where we can envision our childhood selves being free and so um if we're going to work towards that future, that's also part of the reclamation process for me, um, and vice versa. I think be, in order to envision your childhood self being free, you have to work towards a future where Black children can be free. Um, and so, yeah, those things go go hand in hand for me, um, working towards the liberation of Black children in general, um is also a part of reclaiming my own uh childhood as a black person now and diving deeper into that because i'm sure that doing that requires thinking on all sorts of things like potentially generational trauma how your environment can influence you um really diving into your behaviors and feelings around certain things what have been some of the biggest untruths that you've learned about yourself during that journey yeah i think the biggest one is just that uh it's possible i think we live in and this is i think this ties to every question that you've asked because we think of time in this like linear way mm-hmm. uh, it limits so much of what we're able to do and how we're able to think of ourselves um and once you open that portal and like realize that it's possible to think of time outside of that it it also opens up other things that are possible like i think i had gotten to a point at some at some point in my life where like i didn't even think that it was possible for us to get free like there's so many forces that are working against us and like capitalism is always going to um you know uh, appropriate anything that we do and the prison system is just going to find better ways to target whoever's trying to uh, get us free and all of that's true but without thinking of time so linearly i'm not really attached to um what is possible within this lifetime even, mm-hmm. although now I do believe that freedom is possible in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, but without that attachment of like seeing something happen um, in such a linear fashion, um, or what is like immediately tangible, um, you can 
you can believe in freedom again, which means that you can act out of that belief. Um, and you can do things that, um, that might not get you free now, but that might get your kids free because you know that you're going to be an ancestor to these people and that matters. Um, and so it gives you a, a better view of your own ancestors and what they're doing in your life. Um, and I think, yeah, just that was the biggest untruth was thinking that none of that was possible. Like I didn't really have a connection to anybody that came before me because it was denied to me. And, um, didn't have that uh, connection to my younger self or like it was impossible to go back and um, work through the traumas that I'd experienced and to process them differently and heal from them ultimately. Um, and so I think what the truth is, is that it's possible to heal. Um, and it's always going to be possible to heal. You can heal any relationship. You can heal relationships with people who are gone. Um, and that has has been the single most freeing thing for me. I agree with that. And I feel like just kind of taking the concept of not looking at the big picture in sense of time. The reality is we're a very young nation. We're humanity is very young in a lot of ways. And in my lifetime, which has not been long, <laughs> 31, I've seen so many great things happen. I've seen awful things happen, and I'm sure that you have too. But at the same time, it gives me hope because I feel like if you look at any period of history where someone is being discriminated against or um, they're facing any kind of prejudice, there's always this this moment where the world starts to become more aware of the issues, whether they think they're valid or not. And they start hearing things more and more and it plants a seed. And I am much like yourself of the mindset that those things are important and freedom is possible in this lifetime. And if not in this lifetime, it's possible in the future. That kind of leads me into the next thing I wanted to talk to you about. So you wrote an article for The Guardian, and it's probably one of the best articles that I've ever read. And it was centered around you being an abolitionist and navigating your sister being a cop and rethinking family as a concept. As someone who came from a tight-knit Black Hindu family, later coming out as queer and non-binary, throughout the article and, in, and externally, you just navigate with so much grace and a desire to seek to understand, even when you're angry, even when you're navigating all of these very valid negative emotions that you feel about different situations. One of my favorite quotes from that article is, sometimes we mean well and we still hurt people. So my question to you is, what advice would you give someone who is navigating being the one who gets hurt, especially when it comes from family or a clash of ideals thank you for that and i'm glad that resonated with you um yeah i mean i think there are so many different ways to approach it i can only speak from my experience i think what was really crucial in my family is even though there was a lot of harm going on um it was also very clear that there was a lot of love going on but i don't know that could be uh, 
that my response to my mother and my sister and my family can be translated to every situation because sometimes there's harm going on and there's not love. Um, but I think when there is harm and love at the same time, um, you have a responsibility to, uh, if you love someone and they, that person loves you, you have a responsibility to making sure they act on it. And mm -hmm. so, um, for me, it just took, um, if I knew that you love me, then we're going to be okay having this conversation because I know that I love you and we're going to work through this. And so it's going to be difficult. Um, you're, but at the end of the day, you're going to have to acknowledge the harms that you enacted and I'll have to do the same because that's what love is. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think knowing, coming back to that place of like, because I think so, so often, especially when we love somebody who harms us, we're like, oh, I love them, so I don't want to put them through the difficulty of, like, challenging them. But I don't think that that's love. I think love is, uh, it's not whatever that quote of, like, never having to say you're sorry. I think love is letting people know when they need to apologize and also always being willing to apologize when you're, um, being called out and, and being held accountable. And so I think um, for me, uh, I'm always approaching holding people accountable um, as an act of love. Um, and so approaching that harm in that way, like I, because I love my, my mother and because I love my sister, I have to hold them accountable. And, um, and then it becomes a little bit less of like, I'm, I have to hurt you back mm -hmm. um, because I think so often the anger that's very, very valid will like build up in us. And because there's no um, accountability, it just it turns into further repurposed harm. Um, and so I think if you can hold that anger as valid, hold that harm as valid um, and approach from a place of like, this is love, me letting you know that I'm angry, letting you know that I'm harmed. Um, then possibly, at least in my situation, it has um, been really productive in those relationships. We don't all agree on everything still. My sister's still a cop. Mm -hmm. um, but we can have those conversations, and it's no longer um, an issue for me to be like black cops because we've been able to talk through that and um, she can she has to acknowledge that my anger is valid because if she loves me that's something that i demanded of her um, mm -hmm. that's something that i would demand of anyone who loves me is to hold my anger as valid um, so i hope that answered your question <laughs> it answered it perfectly and i think it just it goes back to just showing us that it's okay to be uncomfortable with standing up for yourself and holding people accountable and also holding yourself accountable when you love someone it's something that you're supposed to do because it helps grow those relationships so i just it's a very beautifully worded article and i just love how you conduct yourself and how you you literally find the hope in everything while also saying this is still fucked up, but I'm hopeful that it will get better in time. There's something else that you do in that article um, that I really enjoy. I love how you described your family as one of your universes, because to me, it implied that you have several universes that you kind of 
you kind of weave in and out of. What does your happy place look like with that in mind? I think with that in mind, like I have several happy places. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there are different things that bring me joy at different times of my life. Um, Different things that that bring me joy um, in different ways. And um, I think that it's it's good and, and healthy to have um, different spaces that bring you happiness in the same same way I think it's good to have different communities people who um, and that's what the, the another part of that article is is like so much of how we think about family um, is very static and it's like you have one family especially if you're just thinking about biological and being queer in particular really opened my eyes to like that's not the only definition of family that I have to hold on to I can have many different families and many different communities um, and they can coexist at the same time and so for me um, knowing if I had to like make a single um, place if you will um, happiness it would be where all of those things intersect because that's where I am I am part of a lot of different worlds um right now my place of happiness is here at home with my partner (laughs) Uh, and part of that is because i haven't been here in in a while um but my uh, a really big happy place for me is with my family in north carolina um but now la as i'm building community out there is a happy place and so yeah i don't want to limit myself with with the ha- one singular happy place. I want to have boundless happy places. I like that. And I feel like if you're if you're doing life right, which looks different for everyone, your happy place is going to shift and be multiple things at different times. So thank you for sharing that. And Hari, thank you for coming on the show. It was awesome having you on. This is the part of the podcast where you talk your shit. So where can people go if they want to find out more about you and just kind of keep up with what you're doing? gotten so much worse at keeping things updated even being on social media but you can find me on facebook instagram twitter at hari ziad um it's my first and last name my website is hariziad.com i need to update that but you can find out how to contact me all types of stuff there um and you can buy the book wherever you buy books but also there's there are links on my website um and if you did want to connect and like build community, I'm mostly on Instagram now. Um, but like I said, I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. All right. And I will link all of those below. Hari, thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing a glimpse into your world and why you do what you do. And everybody, until next time. Thank you to all of our listeners out there. As always, you are the most beloved and make all of this magic possible. The Ranger of Corner podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and all standard podcast streaming platforms. Until next time.